What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. Today is Sunday, October 4th for us Americans. Monday, October 5th here. (laughs) And we're recording like a week early, so we're not going to have any current cases right now because everything will probably change by the time we release this. I'm sure you're wondering why we're recording so early, (laughs) and it's because... Miss Olivia, naturally mean Olivia, is going on vacation (laughs) and leaving us. (laughs) Only for a week. We were meant to be on an awesome vacation, but that was cancelled because of corona like the rest of our lives. But anyway, it doesn't matter. We're still going on a little getaway. It'll be fun. I'm going with my friend Nikki, so I'll give her a shout out because she reckons she listens to the podcast. So this will be a true test to see if she really does. (laughs) Yeah, right? I will know. You're going to be waiting for her to say something. <laughs> um, so there's, I think, six adults and like seven children. So it will be super re- relaxing. But anyway, it'll be fun. The weather should be nice. Looking forward to just a week of holidays, hopefully. It's always nice to just not be at work. Yeah. And this is, I think this is the first week <clears throat> I've actually taken off work all year because I've been able to just work at home So I, and I haven't been able to go anywhere. So I haven't taken any time off. Yeah, so this is the first time all year I'll be having a few days off work, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Exciting. What's going on with you? Um, as usual, nothing new is going on with me. Um, I s- decided to, oh my God, there's so many loud cars. <laughs> Everyone in their fucking motorcycle. So as usual, there is nothing new or exciting with me. I've been starting to get back into adult coloring books. I know that was a big trend like five years ago, but quarantine is bringing them back. I went out to some of the little local shops this weekend on Main Street where I live, and I found a book that says, fuck you, coronavirus, I'm coloring. (laughs) And all the ones are, they're like cute little animals with things that say like, you suck and well, that's cute. Things like that. So maybe I'll auction them off as artwork. <laughs> <laughs> People can frame them and put them up. <laughs> Mike told me that if they're good enough, we can frame them. He told you they're not good enough? No, he said if they are good oh, enough, we okay. can frame them. Well, that's a good idea. I thought you were saying he said, I missed it, but <laughs> they're not good enough, we're not framing them. <laughs> he probably is what he meant. He actually told me, because I was like, oh, do you want to color with me? And he was like, no. And I was like, why? And he was like, I'm not good at coloring. And I was like, oh. what? <laughs> You were telling me needs to practice. Practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. Come on. But anyways, so this episode is going to be about crimes and things like that that were caught on surveillance cameras, ring doorbells, business surveillance cameras, police body cams, things like that. Because you would think if something was caught on camera, it would be pretty easy to solve. But only one of these that we're going to talk about is solved, right? Yeah, 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 one and a half maybe because one's solved, the other one someone's been arrested. Um, yeah. No, there's no resolution to the case yet. That one's at like 75. Yeah, 75%. They just need the body. That's all they need is the last. Okay, well, I guess Elisa is, anyway, maybe we're getting, I shouldn't have said that name. but Yeah, Elisa Lamb. Everyone knows yeah. it. Everyone loves it. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that one's finished but still mysterious. Yeah, still very, very strange. I think people are still up in you know, discussion about if that, what they've said happened actually really happened. So, yeah. Yeah. As you guys know and have seen, I'm sure a lot of you even have them ring doorbells and things like that have become increasingly popular over the last couple of years. 
Um, dads love them. I know my dad's got a whole bunch of little motion sensor cameras that we mostly catch deer on. But hey, you never know. There's going to be that one car breaking or something. And we're going to get it. One creepy kid running through the woods in front of what is going on. So most of the cameras, they're motion activated and they can usually detect at least up to 30 feet away. So because of this, more and more crimes are being caught on camera from neighbors turning on neighbors, like in Chris Watts. <laughs> Even um, dash cam footage as well. Like I know that's oh, becoming yeah. more and more used in terms of seeing, you know, if people are driving through a town, what did they see at the, this time? You know, what cars were there? Those type of things. So it is just becoming more a part of everyday life that there is access to these different types of surveillance. I will say it's kind of interesting. A few, maybe two years ago, my parents' house got robbed um, when everyone was away. And, you know, that was obviously super terrible. And as soon as that happened, they put in a surveillance system, cameras, everything. It's a bit weird because they live on an acreage. So it's a bit um, remote. Like they've got neighbours, but they're not super close. The neighbours would never see anything if anything was happening. But um, occasionally they'd have a few dodgy people driving up the driveway and saying things like, oh, is Mark here? Or is, you know, people who don't live in the house. Yeah. But ever, it was just occasionally, and you know, who knows, maybe they were just wrong, had the wrong address. But ever since they've put in the cameras, not once has there ever been anything like that happen again. So yeah. I find that quite interesting. Just is it a deterrent, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, seeing it, it's a deterrent in itself, I would think. Yeah. If I'm trying to rob a house, I'm not going to rob one that has a ring doorbell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Our, you know, cameras everywhere. So, yeah, I don't know. And I think because um, they're ones that they've installed, <clears throat> what happened when their house got robbed was because everyone was away, the person came and turned off the power. And so they knew that when no one turned it back on, that the house was empty. So the police said that's like a common thing that happens. But these surveillance systems they've got run like on a backup power source. So they've covered all the bases, which is sad that you have to do that. But at least it's an option, I guess, these days. Better safe than sorry, I Yeah, suppose. exactly. People are the worst when we know that. So <laughs> yeah, people are the worst. Everyone who follows true crime, we have all learned people <laughs> are the absolute worst. <laughs> But we're going to talk about, we're going to talk a little bit about Chris Watts. Um, the new documentary just came out on Netflix. We both watched it. It's very good, even if you know the whole story. Like, I know the Chris Watts story front to back because of how popular it was and then doing watch parties with law and crime. <laughs> I, I watched their whole series on it. I know probably everything you can know about it. And so I was a little hesitant to watch it because I was like, I already know everything. I've seen it all. But it's a really interesting documentary because it's filmed without a narrator. There's no one telling you the story. It all goes through Shannon's social media videos and police body cam footage, their interviews that they did. So they made a story with all the actual evidence. So it's like Shannon and the police and her friends are telling you the story in real time. So yeah, really so basically a timeline that they've put together from all the footage and social media and communications that they've had from everyone in the Watts case. So I, I know I, some people said, oh, they left a lot, lot of things out, but I thought it was really, really well done because they have to tell the story in a short time. So they, I think they picked the main... It was still an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, and I think they picked the main things that needed to be in there obviously there's more that could have been included if they had more time but I feel like they did a really good job and it was really well produced I thought yeah I liked it a lot actually um yeah I didn't feel like anything was left out I mean if anything small was I still think you get the whole story yeah and there's some videos and stuff I've never seen before because some of them are from Shannon's Facebook because she she was kind of like a blogger in a way she was part of an MLM. 
but it was very 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 big on social media like she was always going live making videos because yeah she wasn't she worked for thrive which is a you know multi what do you mlm and i think that because of that she worked really hard to engage a lot of people mm-hmm. so she lived her life online a lot of the time yeah so a lot of their older videos i hadn't seen and it was sad to see because she seemed like such a sweet person yeah and the poor kids of course yeah so the documentary is on Netflix and it's called American Murder, The Family Next Door, if you haven't seen it. But it's really, really good. Highly recommend. Five stars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Chris Watts. We're going to talk about Elizabeth Barraza, who was shot and killed in her front yard. One of her neighbors got it on surveillance, still unsolved. We're going to talk about Layla Covet, who is presumed dead by the FBI. Um, they've arrested someone, but they haven't found her body or anything like that yet. And then we're going to talk about one that is pretty popular, um, Elisa Lamb. And she's the one who was found in the water tank at the Cecil Hotel. Yep. So Olivia is going to start with Chris Watts. My name's Nicole, and I'm calling because I'm concerned about a friend of mine. I dropped her off at her house at 2 in the morning last night, and I haven't been able to get a hold of her this morning. I've gone to her house, and her car is there. She won't answer phone calls. She won't answer text messages. What's her name? Shanann Watt. Hey, guys. My name is Shanann. I just want you to know a little bit of my story. I went through one of the darkest times of my life, and then I met Chris. And he's the best thing that has ever happened to me. How you doing? How's it going? There was no note or anything. I don't know what to do right now. I've done everything in my heart to make my family's life better. Don't eat turtle. Don't eat turtle. I don't eat turtle. I think about like, did I cause this? Did I make her feel like she needs to leave? She said things were bad and that she didn't know what was going on with Chris. I'm worried sick. This is completely unlike her. My mom just never thought she was good enough. you have any idea if he thought his wife had a boyfriend? Maybe she sat there and thought about it. Do I really stay here right now? Like, if he doesn't love me, maybe I should just go. she accuse you of anything? I tortured him. I rejected him. Did you cause Shanann's disappearance? We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised anything. There's only one person in this room that knows what the truth is. And in about five minutes, there's going to be two of us. So as we mentioned before about the documentary, we weren't even really going to include the Watts um, case in this one. But then I thought there's just so much that has been captured on film and camera. So we might as well go through it and this is a massive massive case so we know that we're not going to capture everything Um, we've got all the information in the group if you want to do a bit more of a deep dive yourself so in just in this series and episode we're going to focus on this case and the pieces that kind of related more to cctv and other footage so if you think if you're wondering why we mentioned you know didn't mention xyz that's why we're just trying to focus on the the video footage related to the watts case and I'm assuming a lot of people know most of the story. Yeah, yeah. 
And I, I think too, it's when you do a podcast, it's a little bit different because obviously people can't see what you're talking about. So log on to the blog. I'll pop all the videos up on the blog and you can see exactly the, what we mean. Mm-hmm. All right. So if you, for someone who has been living, I don't know, under a rock, <laughs> in 2018 in Frederick, Colorado, Chris Watts killed his pregnant wife, Shanann, and their two young daughters, Celeste and Bella. So uh, Shanann was about 15 weeks pregnant with a baby boy at the time, and they were going to call him Nico. Um, there's a, I, f- I figured the best way to kind of go through this CCTV-wise is to do a bit of a timeline. So the first thing that happened just before the murders was June 11, 2018. Shanann revealed to Chris that she was pregnant for a third time. She filmed herself doing the reveal to Chris. She was wearing a cute little shirt that said, oops, we did it again. And, you know, so she, the video is online, but she holds the shirt to show everyone what it says. And then he comes in and he's a bit amazed, incredulous, you know, shocked, I guess. He's like, he's like, wow, great. I know. And now looking back on it, like at the time, I guess he seemed happy It was enough. passable. It was passable. But now that you know what actually happened afterwards, you're like, oh, it just... I forgot, there's one thing he says at like the end of the clip that they show on the documentary, or it's like, you almost think he's saying it through like gritted teeth, like, I'm so excited. Mm. And he says something like, oh, I really like your shirt or, you know, I love that <laughs> shirt or something. Like it's love just it. a bit. Now I feel like everything he does is cringy now that I look back and see everything is cringy, but. Definitely. She seemed super happy and super excited, which is a really sad clip she's, to Yeah, see. she's really precious. Yeah. So then a few days later, June 14, the, um, Shanann posted a video of their daughter Bella sitting in the car and she was singing a song about how her daddy is her hero. So we've got the clip of that here, which now that you know what happened is just absolutely terrible and so, so sad, the poor. I made a comment in the group and I was like, I'm desensitized to most things because I follow so many crimes for so long. and. I know the story, like everything about it, but that video and just seeing the little kids and knowing what happened. There's a video where he's come, he's meeting them in North Carolina and he gets off the plane from the airport yeah, and they run yeah. over to him and you could tell they're so happy to see him. And I said to Mike, I was like, how can someone whose kids, like you could just tell they love him so much and like how the fuck could he do that to them? Just so sad. You can hear it in the video, but if you can't hear it, she says, my daddy is a hero. He helps me grow up strong. He reads me books. He ties my shoes. You're a hero through and through. My daddy, daddy, I love you. Hmm. So we know now that around this time, June-ish, Chris started having an affair with his co-worker, Nicole Kessinger. I believe that this is the reason why he murdered his whole family. I don't know what other reason he would have to do it, but mm-hmm. Nicole there's also videos of Nicole. I tried to find a few, but they're a little bit hidden within the documentary. So we'll try and find them. But she also took a lot of videos and there's video footage of her and Chris. I am having a wonderful time. You mean a lot to me. And I'm glad that you're having a blast. I am so out of breath. There you go, baby. You're so damn sexy. Hi. (laughs) It's me. I miss your face. I was just calling to say hi. 
So on June 27, uh, Shanann left for a vacation in North Carolina with the two kids. She was going to take them for around five weeks and Chris was staying back in Colorado, which meant that he was free to carry on his affair with Nicole. He joined the family for their final week of the trip, which is the video that Steph just mentioned where he's meeting them at the airport after a month apart. Um, And I know they had a fight at this time as well regarding his parents. One of the children was, um, I think, anaphylactic to nuts and his parents had food with nuts in the house and this caused a lot of friction between Shanann and Chris and, um, you know, there were some issues in terms of the family dynamics going on at that time as well. Um, During this time, Shanann sent a lot of messages to friends where she expressed her worry over the state of her marriage. And if you want to read all those texts, they're all in the documentary as well. You know, she explains that they haven't had sex for however long and he has no interest in it. Five weeks. Um, Five weeks. I remember. (laughs) um, You know, things like he's just really distant and really cold and he tells her via text that things are going to be all right and he's going to make an effort. But then when he rocks up in North Carolina, nothing changes. So Shanann was very stressed and anxious I think at this time and I think she knew there was clearly something that she knew was going on just it's only fresh in my mind because I just watched it but she did text one of her friends saying like he's never like not wanted sex it's been five weeks there's definitely someone else yep um so again in terms of being caught on camera on July 18 Nicole sent Chris some lovely semi-nude photos of herself that he kept hidden within an app on his phone. I think it was a fake calculator, calculator. App, yeah, yeah, where he kept his communications with Nicole. So this is all online. We won't go into the detail totally about their marriage issues, um, but it's all online. And the police have even gone as far as to get Nicole Kessinger's browser history, which found her searching for hours for wedding dresses. So we're assuming that she was planning to get married to Chris. Her story is that she... Um, Chris had told her he was separated from his wife, um, which clearly wasn't true. So that's her story that she thought they were separated and her and Chris were going to start a new relationship. The family returned home to Colorado after their trip to North Carolina and later that same week, Shanann flew to Arizona for a work trip. We know now that while she was away, Chris hired a babysitter as he was looking after the kids so that he could go on a date with Nicole. Shanann found out about this through their bank records. She found that he went to some restaurant and the the charge was like $65 and she knew there was no way he would have spent that much. And so she knew she was on the trail. She knew what was going on. Um, But that's kind of the final thing that happened before Chris lost his mind. Yeah. Uh, Shanann left her trip and to return home from Arizona to Colorado on the night of August 12, 2018. Her flight was slightly delayed and she was dropped off to her home by her friend at 1.48 a.m. on August 13. This is all on CCTV. You can see Shanann getting out of the vehicle. She goes up to the front door. She kind of, you know, opens it with the key and goes inside. Yeah, they have some type of ring doorbell. Yeah, and you can see like the friend pulled up and then drove off and all that. So this was the last time that Shanann was known to be alive or, you know, confirmed to be alive. Later on that same day, Shanann's friend Nicole Atkinson, which is another Nicole, don't confuse her with the affair one, it's a different one, was the one who raised the alarm with police when she said she couldn't get in touch with Shanann and she went to the house and no one was there. She called the police on August 13, which is later on the day, you know, the same day that basically Shanann got out, um, went home from the airport. So they weren't missing for too long before people started to realise and things started to move very quickly. So 
the documentary outlines um, the police going to the Watts house. They're knocking on the door. They're yelling at Shanann, Shanann, is anyone there? Make yourself known if you're there. But you can see them peering in the windows. The house is immaculate. There's no, you know, no toys. There's nothing out of place. It just looks like it's in basically an empty or, you know, a house where no one's been there for a long time. So it starts moving very quickly. Chris goes to the house. He lets them in, says he hasn't seen Shanann says that her wedding ring was found, um, I think, in the bathroom or on her bedside table um, and that the kids' blankies are gone as well. So you can, like, looking back on it again, you can just tell that he's like, oh, my gosh, here's her ring. He's just so fake. It was very, like, soap opera. Yeah, yeah, like everything. Like, yeah, he's fake, you can tell. But there's it moves very quickly and then the neighbours start coming over to the Watts house. They start coming over and they play their CCTV for the police and Chris. And Chris is standing there and the neighbour says, you know, hey, I've got this CCTV. Um, you can see the truck backing up. And that at that moment you can tell <laughs> that Chris knows that he's fucked up. He puts his head in his hands. He's like, <gasps> like he just can't believe that this has all been caught. And people, I think this is camera. like dumb, but people point out that he like puts his hands behind his head, like laces his fingers behind yeah. his head. As And people are like, that's the pose you make when – like you're getting arrested by police and that's just showing that. he's guilty. I think it was. I, didn't, the, I knew that's what you do when you get arrested, but I didn't know that people had been saying that. I think it was really. during like the watch party that was saying like his body language and that it showed he was guilty because he was like posing like that subconsciously. I um, There's another article that I read where it says the neighbor offered to show the police officer his camera to see if he'd seen any suspicious activity. He said, because if there is any sort of action out there, I would have got it. So then Chris is watching, head on the hand. <laughs> it's too good, really. You can't make it up. <laughs> it's, it's so, uh, you can feel the tension. <laughs> so Chris still sticks to the story that Shanann must have taken the kids, even though her car was still in the garage and everything. He sticks to the story that he doesn't know where Shanann and the kids are. But the neighbour knows that something isn't right. The neighbour is caught on camera and we've got a clip. The audio is a bit dodgy, so we'll try and see if we can play it. But the neighbour says things like, he's not acting right at all. He's never fidgety. He's never rocking back and forth. And if you look, he never loads his stuff in and out of the garage ever. The neighbour also said, he's normally really quiet. He's subdued. He never talks. So the fact he's over there blabbing his mouth (laughs) makes me kind of suspicious of something. Yeah, but I mean, you put yourself in his situation. Oh, I agree. You know, anyone's gonna be nervous. You don't know what to do. Um, no, I agree. But I'm just saying the way he told you three times what he brought with him. Why is he telling you exactly what he brought with him instead of saying, oh, they didn't see anybody out here. He didn't see anybody doing anything. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Why is he so worried about you knowing what he's carrying out? That's all I'm saying. I think, you know, it's pretty obvious. And I'm sure the police knew as well that what had probably happened, but they had no proof. They had no evidence. They had to keep um, the investigation going because there was no... You know, they had no idea what had happened to Shanann and the kids. So a few days later, Chris made another appeal on television, which was super, super cringy, where 
we'll play a little clip here as well about it. But he basically asks for information on Shannon and the kids and that he wants them home and like things like where they ask what his name is. is he's like, Chris Watts, W-A-T-T-S. Like he's just such an idiot. Yeah, like he's been waiting for this moment. <laughs> yeah, this is his moment, you know. It's the most important thing. Like I'm not sure. I'm, I'll just wait for you to ask question. But like it's I want I want them wherever they're at like I have no inclination to where they're at right now like I've exhausted like every friend that I know of and every friend that I have has called friends that Shanann has that maybe I didn't know about and it's just like there's it's like it's vanished like she's not like when I got home yesterday it was like a ghost town like she wasn't here kids weren't here I have no idea like where they went and it doesn't, it's just earth shattering. I don't feel like this is even real right now. It's like a nightmare that I just can't wake up from. Chris, when did you learn that they got there and they weren't here? It's like, yes, well, I had texted her a few times and called her. I didn't get a response, which that was a little off. And then her friend Nicole showed up about a little afternoon. I could see on the doorbell camera. And I was like, hey, what's going on? She's like, I can't get a hold of Shanann. And that's when I was just like, all right, something's not right. If she's not answering the door, and she said the car was here, it's like, I gotta go home. And we got here, got inside, and not, nobody was here. Not, nothing. Yeah, because like, Bella was gonna start kindergarten next next Monday, and they, they were just getting ready to start, start back again. And so what kind of, so you, your friend Nicole kind of tipped you off that something is- Yeah, because like, she was here at, at the front door, and that's when I kind of knew, okay, like if she's not answering anybody else either, this is this isn't like her, because I mean, she she works at direct sales business, and that's her, that that's what she does, and for her not to respond to any of her people, that I mean, if she doesn't respond to me, that's fine. I mean, like she's busy, she's got stuff going on, but not to respond to her people though, that was that was not like her. In the interview, I remember when it was happening before anyone even knew what was going on. People were like, that interview was so weird because not only is he just, he's not like crying or freaking out or anything. He just seems totally chill. Like he doesn't even seem anxious. He doesn't even seem worried. He's just like, yeah, I mean, I hope they're safe somewhere. Guys, if, if you're watching this, please come home. It's like I feel like right. he's super, super arrogant and cocky. Like I, I know in the documentary, they said that he lost a ton of weight, like maybe 60 or 80 pounds. I think maybe 60 pounds. So he used to be a little bit chubby and now he really worked out and I guess he's having an affair with Nicole. So his um, self-esteem is probably at an all-time high. Very so, smug. Yeah, super smug, super cocky, doesn't really care, you know, gets on camera, says what he wants. But his smugness didn't last long. <laughs> August 15, which was only a few days after Shannon went missing, he failed a polygraph, um, which is all on the documentary if you want to check it out as well. You can tell the, the, the polygrapher, I don't know if that's what you call them. Anyway, yeah. whatever. The lady who's administering the polygraph says, you need to, you know, you need to calm your breathing down. You've got to, I can't read you while you're breathing like this. And, you know, that's obviously paraphrasing, but he's freaking out during the polygraph. But um, he failed the polygraph and the police basically said, we know that something's up. And that's when he admitted to killing his wife. His story at the time was that Shanann killed the kids and then he found out and he killed her in a rage. Sorry, that's my watch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's a footage that we've got of him sitting in the police interrogation room with his dad. So that's where he, his dad seems to be, 
the first person he confesses to. He said he strangled Shanann and because she had hurt the kids and he didn't want, you know, he just went into a rage and things like that. So this is all on camera, like hours and hours and hours of footage. One of the most horrifying things from the documentary was that when he confessed, um, he told police that he'd put Shanann's body, which had been wrapped in a sheet, on the truck floor and that the two little girls sat in the back seat of the car cuddling each other. And I know they asked things like, will mum be okay? And she, he said, yeah, she'll be fine. So when he finally got to where he was going to dump them, which was an oil field and there were oil drums, he, it was about 45 minutes to an hour from their house. He said he killed Celeste first and that Bella, I don't know, I, I don't know I'm assuming she saw, but she knew what was coming and her final words were, daddy, no. Hmm. which is just oh, so like that was probably that made me feel a bit sick that was the worst bit yeah for me that part oh it's just like ugh. you mentioned bell's first she's good first okay where exactly was she when it happened in the back seat okay but she just right next to bell mm-hmm. okay so um so once again was it a hand over her face was it there was a blanket over and my hand so that just stopped her from breathing, that thing. Okay, did she struggle at all? I don't think so, but my, I was blocking her face and my hand was right here. Oh, okay. You had one hand here and one hand over her mouth? Just pushing her against the back of the seat, that thing. Okay. Hold the belly. Just sitting there next to her, she didn't know what was going on. Okay. Could she see you? Okay. Okay, so once CC's gone, Bella's still there. In the car alive, and then you pulled CC out. Was it you with her? Okay. So she went into the tank, and Bella was still in the back of the truck alive. Okay. Um, with regard to that tank, did you bring up CC, put her down, open the hatch? Brought her up, open the hatch. And I put her in. Okay. So after he killed them all, he um, buried Shanann and her baby in a shallow grave near some oil tanks and he put Bella and Celeste's body in the tanks. He led police there and I know from the sounds of it, it was a horrific, you know, absolutely horrific scene when they had to yeah. get those out of there. So in February 2019, Chris changed his story again which, you know, so the story was that he killed Shanann because she killed the kids, but he changed it again and said that he snapped the morning his wife returned home from the business trip and she accused him of cheating. So, you know, his story, she didn't, I don't think she ever hurt the kids. That was just his story. And I think the police also kind of gave him that idea because they said, oh, you know, did she yeah. hurt the kids? You, I could, you could call it almost kind of see the cogs in his head. Oh, actually, yeah, that's a good, good, you know. Which I, I think they did on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, this was actually a really super fast-moving trial, thankfully, which doesn't often happen. Because he pled guilty like a bitch to avoid the death And they released everything, like hundreds and hundreds of pages of information, which was so good for us. But anyway, he was convicted and he's now serving three consecutive life sentences in jail without the possibility of parole. So that is it in terms of CCTV in regards to the Watts case. We'll put all the videos up online. I don't even know what else you can say after that. He's just a monster. That case is interesting in itself for one, but because it's in Colorado and they have Open Records Act or something, Mm. literally every piece of evidence interview you can access online. So that's how they were able to make a documentary. 
Ganon as well, like mm-hmm. not not to the same extent yet, I don't think. That's as yeah, open, once, but... once it's done. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot you can go through. I know that Shanann's family played a big part in that documentary. I think a lot of the information probably came from them as well. So it's good that they're getting their voice out there because Chris's family don't seem like the nicest people. Also, if you're like a Chris Watts stan harassing Shanann's family, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Just keep writing to him. (laughs) Yeah, just so gross. He's just the worst anyway. So next, we're going to go over the murder of Elizabeth Barraza. She was 29 years old from Trumbull, Texas. And our friend Amy actually wrote a blog about this last year when it happened, and she compiled a lot of information. So you could check that out, and you could check out her Facebook group. It's the, She has Missing and Unidentified, and she has a few others under Attempt to Locate. So definitely check out those if you want to get some more true crime. Um she admins it with our friend Kirsten, and they're great. They help us out a lot. <laughs> I was holding her hand the entire time, and I said, I love you. I'll never forget you. And I just... Slowly let her go. I thought it was a robbery and that had gone wrong or something like that, and they ended up shooting my wife. But then they didn't... There's nothing that was taken. The way the person moves and stuff, I believe it's a woman, but... It's hard to tell, honestly, the quality of the video. It's, it's hard to see details and stuff. So it could be someone dressed up, but it looks like it could be a female from the long hair, the way they move and stuff. I'm not really honestly sure. It's just what I think it could be, you know. That's the only reason I'm here. Because we just don't know. We don't know, and I I can't understand it, so I just want somebody to come help us. On January 25th, 2019, Elizabeth Barraza took the day off of work to have a garage sale because she and her husband, Sergio, intended to spend their fifth wedding anniversary at Universal Studios' Wizarding World of Harry Potter in Orlando, Florida. Great choice, by the way. (laughs) And they were actually going that coming weekend. And the garage sale would give them some extra money to spend on their trip. Always a good thing. So her bags were already packed for the trip. They were ready to go. And she even had suitcases that resembled the ones that Harry took to Hogwarts with him. Cute. So Sergio left for work that day at 6.48 a.m. And Elizabeth was setting up for the tag sale. But minutes later, at 6.52 a.m., Elizabeth was shot four times and left to die in her driveway. So a neighbor's surveillance camera caught a 2013 or newer Nissan Frontier that drove past the Brazos' home before turning around and parking outside. A small statured person in a trench coat with long hair or a wig got out of the Frontier and approached Elizabeth. You could see that she takes a step back and she wasn't really expecting anyone so early, but she greeted the stranger anyways. 
it appears there's some sort of brief conversation, but after about eight seconds, this person pulls out a gun, shoots her three times at point blank rage before stepping over her body and shooting her one last time. The suspect then flees the scene, but circles back in the truck and passes the home again as Elizabeth lays dying in her driveway. Neighbors that heard the gunshots called 911. Elizabeth was rushed to the hospital by a helicopter, but she died from her injuries the next day. Elizabeth and Sergio, a little bit about them. They weren't only Harry Potter fans, but they were even bigger Star Wars fans. They were both part of the 501st Legion, which is an international fan-based organization dedicated to the construction and wearing of screen-accurate replicas of Imperial Stormtrooper armor, Sith Lords, clone troopers, bounty hunters, and other villains from the Star Wars universe. The 501st Legion, called by its nickname Vader's Fist, is made up entirely of volunteers. They seek to promote interest in Star Wars through the building and wearing of high-quality costumes to facilitate the use of these costumes for Star Wars-related events and to contribute to local community through costume charity and volunteer work. They were really, really, you can tell from their social media that they were super into Star Wars. Like, There's a photo of them kissing in the background with their Star Wars yeah, I don't know. I'm probably doing the wrong thing, but Star Wars helmets, whatever they are. They're stormtrooper helmets. Yeah. <laughs> I've never ever seen Star Wars. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. But um, they were super into it. Like there's so much online about them and their Star Wars. And the 501st Legion, like the costumes are insane. They could be straight mm-hmm. from the movie. And if you go on their website, it has all the rules of what's acceptable for certain costumes and all the different parts you need. It's crazy. It's probably hardcore. The 501st Legion is filled with members worldwide that are, I think it's fair to say, at some level, obsessed with Star Wars. We're the world's largest costuming organization. We have 10,000 members worldwide. You know, why the bad guys? Because there's just more helmeted characters on the bad side. We can actually literally look exactly like those characters in the movie. You can simplify it to the three C's, costuming, camaraderie, and charity. We are putting our love of Star Wars to good use. We're bad guys doing good, and we're trying to keep peace and order amongst the galaxy. Today, we were at Children's Hospital, Orange County, also known as Chalk. Walking into the rooms uh, of some of the patients, you would think with Darth Vader, this menacing character, you would think it would be intimidating or frightening for these kids. But believe it or not, they get excited over it. Their energy is almost uncontainable when when the characters walk into their rooms and they and they want to interact with them. And it's really cool because you see the harsh reality of what's going on in their life uh, leave for a while and they interact with these characters. It's positive interaction, and the positive interaction is fantastic. You're so awesome. Hey, you're awesome. Can I get a fist pump? That was probably the best fist pump I've ever gotten. But through the 501st Legion, Elizabeth enjoyed visiting children who were admitted in local hospitals. Her father, Robert, told People Magazine, one of the things that really made her stand out well, she didn't carry a pistol in her holster. She carried a little baby Ewok stuffed animal in her holster so people would see it. <laughs> Very cute. 
So after she had passed away on February 1st, her friends and families held a Star Wars and Harry Potter themed vigil for her where lightsabers and wands illuminated the sky in her honor, which I'm sure she would have loved. Yeah. One week to the day after being gunned down in her driveway, family and friends of 29-year-old Elizabeth Barraza gathered near the same spot to remember her. I'm so glad the last things I got to do was kiss her goodbye and tell her I love her. The candlelight vigil also illuminated in a very special way the glow of several lightsabers and wands. Raise our lights and our hearts. I love you, Liz. Raza and her husband, huge fans of Star Wars and Harry Potter, as are those who attended her vigil. We lost a daughter, a sister, an aunt, a wife, a friend, a truly inspirational young woman. As loved ones share memories of Baraza, her killer remains on the run. So on February 6th, a press conference was held by the Harris County Sheriff's Department where more details were released. The truck entered the neighborhood from the south of Kai Kendall, which I'm guessing as a road. Yeah. And left in the same route. The three entrances to the neighborhood from south of the victim's home have businesses, which I'm assuming had cameras. So the truck entered the neighborhood several minutes before Sergio left for work. Elizabeth and Sergio hadn't advertised their garage sale on any social media, but they did tell some friends, family, and coworkers. That morning, the two hung up garage sale signs before he left for work. There was a male witness, they said, and that detectives had already developed some people of interest based on tips they'd already received. So from there, not a lot happened. Um, I mean, it was only 2019, so it's still pretty current. But this year, the Harris County Sheriff's Office released more information. Some of it I mentioned in telling the initial story just for the sake of the story. But the information included that Elizabeth could be heard saying good morning to the person, but the rest of the conversation is muffled. So when that person came up to her, she greeted them with a good morning. Um, In another interview her father did, he said that to him, that tells him that she didn't know who the person was. Yeah, because she didn't say, hey, Jane, or hey. Yeah, Yeah. like she just greeted them politely. Something they'd probably say to someone who didn't really know or didn't know at all. Yeah, it's a little more formal. Um, the police also said that the truck had circled back after fleeing the scene. Investigators said they thought it was to make sure the job was done and that the person may not have been working alone. Um, Harris County Sheriff's Office Sergeant Michael Ritchie said, quote, I feel they contacted somebody and said, hey, the job's done. And then that person said, are you sure? And then they turned around and drove by the scene one more time. This is when they also ID'd the truck and a decal on it. This is when... They identified it as a 2013 or newer black four-door Nissan Frontier with a Pro 4X sticker on it. Here they called Nissan, by the way. <laughs> really? Yeah, Nissan. I've got a Nissan. So, but um, Nissan. Yeah. Nissan. We say Nissan. <laughs> <laughs> and as of then, there was also a new investigator on the case because the previous one was promoted, and the family said they were thankful to have resources of both men. So today, her murder remains unsolved there have been tons and thoughts and theories and discussions on various social media platforms people wonder could have been an ex-lover a jealous friend could one of them been having an affair did the killer know that elizabeth took off of work did they wait around for sergio to leave did like the person know their schedules people also wonder because the police haven't said if the person's male or female looking at the video 
you would think it was a female, but something seems a little off. I know you said that uh, that person was wearing a trench coat, but I've also seen it. Seen, a robe, you know, right? Written that, yeah, like a dress, a dressing gown or a robe. So yeah, that would make sense for me. You know, a woman just got up, <laughs> went out with a gun to go and kill her. But yeah, yeah. To, to me, it does look more like a robe, I think. Yeah, I thought, I always thought it was a robe. And then when I was reading articles, people kept saying trench coat. So I didn't know, we'll have to clarify and see if what, police distinguish as but a lot of people were saying it looked like a robe or saying like it was a man disguised as a woman wearing like a wig it's crazy this the similarities and i know it's not really similar but there are some similarities to the missy beaver case as well where mm-hmm. you know that people have debated if that's a man or a woman in yeah. her cctv as well that would have been a good one yeah too late now <laughs> anyway but um yeah so it's crazy that there are the similarities between that and the missy beavers case which is also unsolved yeah so watch the video let us know what you think they're wearing what gender they are um crime stoppers has offered a twenty thousand dollar reward for any information that leads to an arrest this year elizabeth's father said that somebody knows something their circumstances may have changed certainly with this pandemic there's a lot of folks that twenty thousand dollars would be life-changing amount of money if you know anything you're urged to call crime stoppers at 713-222-TIPS i just had a look to on sergio's facebook um because sergio since liz has died has a new partner oh really yeah so he posts quite a lot about elizabeth like you know he writes things like this is from December last year. It's been 11 months now and the killer is still out there. My wife was taken away from me. There's also a post he made um, 26th of January, which was obviously that must have been the date that she died. So one one year apart and it's mm. a photo of Elizabeth's hand in the hospital, which I'm assuming is right before she died. Uh. And he said, today was a hard day. I miss you. I love you always. And he he does share a lot about her and he posted with the new woman in July this year. So I guess, you know, that's 18 months, which is a pretty standard Yeah, time. I mean, he's, they're both pretty young. Like, he's going to yeah. move on, but it's nice to see that he's still posting about her, and I'm sure it's so hard for him. It's so random. One, um, he posted in July, he shared a People article about Liz, and it says, please do me a favor and share this article. We are still seeking to get justice for Liz. It's been over 18 months, and we need to get justice for her. Thank you all. I, I just feel for me, in terms of the theories, it's so it seems so convenient that this all happened like three or four minutes after he left for work. Yeah, it definitely seems like the person was waiting and Yeah. Or the person yeah, was waiting for a call, you know, yeah, hey I've hey I've left. I don't I know, I'm I don't know, you know, I don't know what happened, but it sounds like that could have been something that happened waiting for him to leave because I don't know. It just seems I feel too like it was- otherwise definitely like a, some type of hit whether they had the wrong person or i don't know because it just seems like who would put a, a hit on them yeah it, it just seems it, it seems like it has to be personal like they didn't steal anything from the garage sale i'm assuming there wasn't any money there anyway and if there was it would have been you know they, a few dollars the person literally just walked up to her and shot her and left. didn't take anything yeah yeah so it's there's obviously a reason it has to be a personal reason someone has to be jealous maybe who knows? I guess there are some very passionate people in this Star Wars community. <laughs> so Yeah. I know Amy and her blog made the point that some of what the person was wearing looked like it could have been costume-like. Yeah. So she, that's what she made a comment on. But I don't know. I just feel like it's either, like you said, something personal or 
mistaken identity and they killed yeah, the wrong yeah, person. I just also find it crazy that they know what truck it was. They know the path generally that the truck took and they haven't been able to identify the truck or who was driving it. It's that was crazy. what I, I wrote as a note. I was like, did they get a license plate? But mm. then maybe they did and maybe it was like stolen or something. Who knows? Very strange. It's just yeah, crazy how you can just be setting up for a garage sale one morning and then. Who's out killing people at 7 a.m.? <laughs> Someone very motivated. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like it definitely was a planned thing yeah yeah in my opinion yeah who knows and you know I don't know I'm just speculating obviously but let's just say for example Sergio was talking to another woman you know and he's like hey I've left for work now might that you know he might not have been having an affair we don't know and she just got mad and thought this is it I'm you know yeah hopefully one day she seemed very very sweet Elizabeth um yeah and I know it's one that people still follow to this day so hopefully Something will come I think it's it just soon. one of those ones that seems so scary because it's so random. Like it's not yeah. like there was like this fight or anything like that. She was just in her own driveway doing her own things, setting up a garage sale, and someone gets out of a truck and just shoots her. Like that could happen to probably anyone. Yeah. But mm. if anything else happens, we'll post the pictures and stuff we were talking about on our website like we do with all of them. So check those out. If you want to see the video, it'll be on there. That's yeah. it for that one. And next is Layla. And the young woman at the center of this case had only been in South Florida for roughly 24 hours before she disappeared. One of the first and final stops she made was to this gas station in Hollywood where cameras were rolling. This is one of the last known sightings of Leela Cabot. It appears she went missing on July 26th. So it's during that time that's really critical for us. Nearly three weeks later, the FBI is releasing a new clue. That 21-year-old mom visiting from Georgia was seen on surveillance cameras getting into a Lexus sedan at the racetrack on 441 and Hollywood Boulevard hours before she vanished. We are investigating every possibility as to why Layla went missing. Detectives confirm Leela and her two-year-old son were alone for the drive to South Florida. The two were spotted stopping for food at a Cracker Barrel in Vero Beach, July 24th. But their vehicle was a white Chevy pickup truck that was found ditched days later near a Walmart in the very same plaza as the gas station in Hollywood. Layla spent time in the areas of Hollywood, Miramar, and Fort Lauderdale Beach before her disappearance. To make matters worse, Leela's son Camden was found wandering alone near an apartment complex in Miramar on the Sunday of her disappearance. It took days to identify the toddler and for relatives out of state to realize something was amiss. So the next one we're going to speak about is the case of missing woman Layla Cavett. How her case came around was on July 26th this year, so only, you know, three months nearly into it. Um, police in Miramar, Florida were called after a young child was found wandering the streets alone. They quickly released a, um, an appeal and it's this cute little boy wearing a black T-shirt and he's got really curly ringlets. You know, he's very, very sweet. So they post an appeal and ask for, you know, does anyone know this child? Does anyone know this child's family? And things started rumbling on social media and it took almost a day, though, before anyone, I guess, before his identity was confirmed. And it came out that his name was Camden, which is K-A-M-D-Y-N. And his family came forward and said that he should have been with his mother, Layla Cabot. 
So they started looking for Layla. You know, where was she? Why was he wandering the streets alone? Um, and they issued their first specific appeal for Layla. Just through my notes, I wrote specifical. What is even that? Yeah. <laughs> it's specifically. specifically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe that's what I meant. Um, so the appeal said detectives are actively searching for Layla Cavett, pictured, you know, obviously this picture, who may be the mother of the child found yesterday. We are concerned for her safety and her well-being. She was last seen driving a white Chevy 3500 mid to late 90s model with a maroon or red tailgate and a baby on board sign on the passenger window. So when they discovered Camden, Layla's family was shocked to just to like why were they in Florida? They didn't live there. They were from Dawsonville, Georgia, which is around 10 to 12 hours drive from there from Miramar. So, you know, like imagine that just yeah. not realizing that your family member's gone and then when they are gone, they're that Turn far a bit away. State. Yeah. So they started to kind of piece together Layla's last movements based on CCTV. So we've got the images on the blog. You can see Layla. She's carrying Cam in one photo. Um, and they've decided that she came down to Florida on July 24th. Um, and there's a photo showing her at the Cracker Barrel in Vero Beach near Interstate 95 on that day. The next day, which was July 25th, she was seen in the Fort Lauderdale Beach and is at Las Olas areas. I don't know if I've said that right. Anyway, during the day and at a racetrack gas station in Hollywood that night. She was also seen on CCTV near a Walmart parking lot near US 441 and Hollywood Boulevard the night before Camden was found. And her vehicle was found in Hollywood on July 28. So there's tons and tons of footage of Layla. There's footage of her kind of getting into it looks like a beige sedan with a sunroof. She's getting in and out of that car. They did really well to kind of track her down because mm-hmm. she was in a lot of different places. So I know that Nikki put together this awesome um, timeline of events because there's a man involved in this case called Shannon. He had a very different version of events to what the FBI found through their CCTV investigation. So they've said July 24th, as we said, they spotted at a Cracker Barrel, Camden and Layla. July 25th, Layla is seen entering and exiting a Lexus sedan at the racetrack in Hollywood, which was all CCTV. And that was at three o'clock. And then at 10.20 that night, she's seen entering the same gas station again with Camden. The next day, July 26th, the man who Layla, we will talk about in a minute more about him, but he went to meet, you know, Layla went down there to meet him and he did a Google search for what day does commercial garbage pick up for Hollywood, Florida. (laughs) The next search he did about an hour and a half later was does bleach and alcohol make chloroform? So totally normal. This, yeah, this is not you can just tell now this isn't going to end well. Maybe he's an internet sleuth and he's in some true crime <laughs> group because my search history might look similar. So about seven hours later, his car is seen on CCTV leaving the racetrack in Hollywood, Florida. They find Cam right around that time wandering alone. Um, and that goes through their phone pings as well. Shannon's car is also seen again very soon arriving back at the racetrack. And about an hour later, his car is seen on video at Walmart and he buys trash bags and carpet odor eliminator. He then returns to the store to buy advanced strength duct tape. Hmm. So that's July 26th. The next day, in terms of CCTV, a license plate reader picks up Layla's car tag in the Walmart parking lot and police set up surveillance there. And then the next day, July 28th, Shannon approaches Layla's truck with the keys in hand and he starts to be questioned by police. They they were on top of it pretty quickly. I feel like they didn't lose much time with this one. It was, you know, a matter of days before they had the timeline kind of locked down, um, mm-hmm. which was 
handy, but in the end it hasn't really proven to bring much. But Shannon, who we mentioned, his name is Shannon Ryan. It's now believed that the CCTV footage of Layla getting in and out of the beige car, that was his Lexus. So he is pretty crazy. I don't even know how to even start describing this man. But he's involved in witchcraft. He's posted like an hour-long video on Facebook about the case and about his involvement in the case. Greetings, family. How's everyone doing tonight? Uh, Are my witches tuning in yet? Yeah, I want my witches to tune in. So now here I am. I'm at Fort Lauderdale Park. Get my workout in, about to go take me a little night swim, enjoy the frequencies, get me some meditation under the moon. Now, at this current time, I see a lot of people just out of nowhere popping up on my timeline. I get it. Don't nobody know who you are, and you want your couple minutes of fame. Or don't nobody know who you are, so now you want to make a Facebook group about Layla, or you want to make a group about me, and now you want some attention because you want to do light work and you want to do the right thing. You don't know shit. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Who are you again? Excuse me. Who are you again? Because all these people screaming for attention now. He did it. He did it. He did it. Yeah, and I'm looking at you like, okay, people see you now. Thank you. He did it. You don't know shit but what I posted, but he did it. <laughs> Y'all are so retarded. It just amazes me how the educational system of America made so many fucking idiots. <laughs> Oh, this is just so beautiful. But I just want y'all to know that I'm in a good frequency. See, because you can't fuck with me. When I said what I was a mastermind, I didn't stutter. And then I back it up. So whoever the FBI think that they got is smarter than me, they can get a whole team together. Because I told you the truth. And if you don't want to accept the truth, that's not my fault. I could give a fuck less. And you can make up whatever fantasy or whatever you think that you know in your mind from whatever you read or from whatever you interpreted or from whatever you got from the good Lord. I could give a fuck less. I'm right here. And I ain't running from shit. <laughs> I ain't running from a motherfucking thing. So now if you think I'm guilty, come get me. If anybody think I'm guilty, come fuck with me. But keep my name out your mouth. Put some respect on me. Know who you pronounce it. Know what you pronounce it. Where did you get that name from? Who taught you how to pronounce that? Keep playing with me. You don't know what I know. He also posted on his social media at the time that Layla was an apprentice for his witchcraft. I'll put the post up on the blog, but, you know, he talks about things like, um, I'm just trying to pick the, you know, most interesting bits. The best one. <laughs> it says, I'd like to give special thanks to the teacher's pet, Mimi Lene. She knows how to treat a god like a god, to sit in her aura, to be in the presence of healing. Every time we connect, magic happens. This goes on and on, you know. He's just... Um, and then his th- shout out to Layla says, I'd like to give a special thanks to my apprentice, Layla Cavett, for being the catalyst of a major upgrade to self, forever grateful. These witches keep a God in check. I appreciate the nurturing frequencies. As I pour into my students, I find myself being poured back to into. There are other witches of mine that I haven't mentioned, but you know the ones you know the love is there. I would be writing all day. And then he signs it with I think he's one of his names, Barul. I think I've got that right. What a loser. I know, he's a loser. So he posted videos on his own social media of the police searching or the FBI searching his Lexus. So, again, another super long post, but I'll read a bit of it and I'll put it all up online if you want to read the whole lot. It says, I can't figure out what I did to make the FBI want to investigate me. Well, you know where I'm at if you want to come and get me. I'm not running. I'm just not coming to you. We really should have a proper meeting. So I'm in Dallas right now, but tomorrow, who knows? You're in Florida, but you want me to come back. 
sure I'll come back after you get a warrant. So this goes on and on and on, you know. It says, um, these pictures of your officers searching my car are right here. They took statements. That's all I have today. Now I'm starting to get pissed the fuck off. Make a case or fuck or piss the fuck off my demons. <laughs> the <laughs> FBI is on a witch hunt. Well, you got the right witch. Come get me. I am protected. Oh, man, so. he thought that was a mic drop moment. <laughs> anyway, it turns out he wasn't so protected because in middle of August, so about two two weeks after Layla disappeared, he was arrested. He was charged with kidnapping. The full description of his charge is knowingly and willfully kidnap, seize, confine, abduct, and carry away the victim with the intent to collect a ransom, reward, or other benefit and held the victim for that reason and used a facility or an instrumentality of interstate or foreign commerce in committing or furtherance of the offence. So so many words. I know. It's a very broad charge, that one, sounds like. Anyway, so we learned after his arrest, we learned a bit more about what had happened. Shannon told detectives that he knew Layla. He first met her in January of 2019. And that amongst other reasons, she traveled to Florida to sell him her truck for $3,000. So he goes on about, you know, this, the, where they were, which was confirmed by CCTV at the racetrack and all those different types of things. And his story was that she got into a car with several black males in a dark colored sedan on the morning of July 26. He said she grabbed her kid and she got into the car with those guys. But police have said that surveillance video from the gas station does not show Shannon's car there and it does not show Layla getting into a dark sedan. So it seems like that was a bit of a lie, which isn't really surprising based on this guy. Mm-hmm. They've also discovered that Shannon had been using another person's debit card to make purchases at the racetrack and the Walmart. So it just backed up everything that they knew had already happened on based on the footage that they had. On August 28, a motion to continue was filed and Shannon's arraignment hearing was moved to January 22nd, 2021. So there hasn't really been much movement on the case since then. We know now that the FBI in September told Layla's mother that Layla was dead. They needed DNA from the family to analyse blood that they found on shovels during the search. And just the other day, there was a little bit of an update when the FBI announced that they were searching the Monarch Hill landfill in Broward County, Florida for evidence relating to Layla's case. Um, I've had a look. As far as I know, nothing has been found. They just talk about the search and why they're searching now. But I don't think they've found anything. And in the group, we were talking about it. And I said, I don't think that it would be a body now anyway. I think it would be just evidence or a piece of something. Mm -hmm. Remains. Um, Yeah, remains. Yeah, partial remains. Yeah. So that is it for Layla. Hopefully we'll hear a little bit more, but it doesn't sound like it will be till January at least, um, you know, unless they find something relating to her case in the meantime. But the search was started four or five days ago and I'm assuming they probably have wrapped up that search because I haven't heard that anything else was found. I feel like that was one of those cases in the group or just like in general where a lot happened fast and then it just kind of stopped. Yeah, and there was so many people involved, but I think that once Shannon was arrested, um, simmered down a bit. Yeah, dropped off because he was kind of the you know head witch, or whatever. He was like, the one throwing <laughs> gas on the fire. Yeah, so now I'm 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 pretty sure a lot of these people have kind of scrambled to not be associated with him anymore, which is understandable. But um, lots and lots of people involved, and lots happened quickly. But then now it's just kind of 
stopped. I guess they found everything quickly and then that didn't still didn't lead them to Layla. So very strange. It's always weird to me when that happens. Like so much happens quickly. They have evidence, they have the person, they have footage, and then they just can't Nothing. find their body. Same with yeah. like Jennifer Dulos. Yes. Yep. That's yep. another one. Seems like how much what what else what else do they need? I know obviously they it needs to be more and you can't just but it's just crazy that there seems to be all this information for some cases and they just are not ever solved. Same with like Delphi. You can have so much and it still doesn't all fit together, right? Yeah. That's it for Layla. So the last one we're going to talk about is Elisa Lamb. She was 21 years old and this happened at the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles, California. Um, this is a pretty widely discussed case as been... I guess, unsolved in a way, or people feel it's unsolved because it's very mysterious, strange circumstances. Um, And obviously there's video on it that has been torn apart and discussed for years. I guess it's a bit of an urban urban legend almost type one as well because, like we said, there's so much footage and then it's just so unbelievable what happens. Yeah, it's just very weird, almost paranormal in a way, or some people believe that it could be paranormal, so... Spooky for Halloween. <laughs> um, so yeah, good Halloween one. <laughs> this is our segue to maybe our next episode will be Halloween or the one. I don't know. We're going to do a Halloween one. Yeah, but. So some background on the Cecil Hotel because it is a bit notorious and well-known for being a hot mess. The Cecil Hotel was built as a business hotel in the 1920s, and it fell on hard times during the Great Depression of the 1930s and never really recaptured its original market. Due to its close proximity to Skid Row, the hotel was never really able to charge higher prices, so it became a place where people who could pretty much only afford like the cheapest possible place to stay, because... It was very close to Skid Row. People started considering it kind of like a dangerous area. No one really wanted to stay there. So the hotel, on top of that, it was linked to some of Los Angeles's more notable murders or murderers. In 1964, Goldie Osgood, the pigeon lady of Pershing Square, was raped and murdered in her room at the Cecil Hotel. That crime has never been solved. Serial killers Jack Untenweger and Richard Ramirez which was the Night Stalker, they both resided at the Cecil while they were actively serial killing. And there's been multiple suicides, one of which killed a pedestrian outside the front entrance of the hotel. I don't know why my cats are fucking fighting. Yeah, so it seems like a cursed place. So after they tried to, you know, re-renovate it, rebrand it, and then it was referred to as a boutique hotel called Stay on Main, but its shitty reputation kind of didn't go away because people leave shitty reviews um (laughs) and currently i guess now it's being made into apartments and olivia when she was in the united states for crime con actually tried to go to the hotel but couldn't we went there it was um like you know fully expecting to be able to just get in and be a creep and look around (laughs) but uh it was shut and it was all boarded up like there was literally no way we could have even snuck in um i think i took some photos i'll have to find them and put them up but um they had I think they had like a plan on the door saying that it was going to be made into apartments and I had a look when I knew we were going to do this and it says that it is still being made into apartments um and that they had a number there for people to call if they want to rent them for $900 a month so 
as far as I know, it's not quite open yet, but it must be almost. It's super cheap there. rent too, so. Yeah, it's like it's right in downtown LA. Um, I know that downtown LA didn't have the best reputation for a little while, but I think it's, you know, from what I hear, it's becoming a little bit more gentrified, not always a good thing, but it's becoming a bit more, I guess, livable. Yeah. If that's the right term to speak about. It's on the up and up. Yeah. So someone says, like, there's someone who lives in the area says, I live in a building a couple of doors down. I've seen some workers coming in and out lately, and I just walked by, and there are now signs up for the apartments. So it must be coming soon if anyone needs somewhere to live. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone wants to live in a probably haunted place. (laughs) Anyway, I would have loved going because I followed this case really closely when it all happened, Um, but it wasn't to be. Maybe next time. Yeah, you'll have to go again. <laughs> Anyways, back to Elisa. So she was a 21-year-old Canadian student studying at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. Sometimes she went by her Cantonese name, Lam Ho Yi. She struggled with bipolar disorder and depression, which she documented on various blogs that she kept. Um, one of them is still up. I'm, I don't think the other one is because it's older. So on January 13th, 2013, Elisa booked a flight to explore San Diego, Los Angeles, Santa Cruz, and San Francisco on what she called her West Coast tour. Her family was worried as Elisa struggled with depression and bipolar disorder, but she told them she would call every day to check in. So that made them feel a little better. She embarked on her trip on January 22nd, 2013. Before her trip to California, she traveled alone via Amtrak and inner city buses. She visited the San Diego Zoo and posted some photos on social media. Then on January 26th, she arrived in Los Angeles. After two days, she checked into the Cecil Hotel near Skid Row. Elisa was initially assigned a shared room on the hotel's fifth floor. However, her roommates complained about what the hotel's lawyer would later describe as certain odd behavior, and she was moved to a room on her own after two days. So I don't really know what certain odd behavior is it's not really elaborated on it's just from the motion that was filed by the hotel in the lawsuit so clearly something was up there um elisa contacted her parents every day while she was traveling like she promised but on january 31st 2013 she did not check in and she was also scheduled to check out that day and leave for santa cruz so her family contacted the los angeles police department and they flew to los angeles to try to help find her because she was missing so leading up to her disappearance, Alyssa Alisa made a few strange blog posts. She mentioned she lost her phone at a place called the Speakeasy and strange men pursued her aggressively. Alisa was using public transportation to get around LA, which isn't always the safest mode of travel when you're a young single girl unfamiliar with the area. Hotel staff who saw Alisa that day remembered that she was alone. They didn't see anyone with her. And outside of the hotel, um, the manager of a nearby bookstore that she visited recalled seeing her. The manager said she was outgoing, very lively, very friendly, and she was getting gifts to take home to her family. The manager also said she was she was talking about what book she was getting and whether or not what she was getting would be too heavy for her to carry around as she was traveling. So police searched the hotel to the extent that they could at the time legally. They searched Elisa's room and had dogs go through the building, including the rooftop, but the canines were unsuccessful in detecting her scent. Um, Sergeant Rudy Lopez said, we didn't search every room. We could only do that if we had probable cause to believe a crime had been committed. 
So they couldn't go through all the rooms at that moment because they would probably need some type of warrant. And the thing is too, like the Cecil Hotel is a high rise. So yeah, I just huge. looked it up. It has 700 guest rooms. Oh so God. for them to even get a warrant, I don't even know how that would work to be able to search every single room. Um, yeah, I didn't even think how big it was. Yeah, it would have been a massive, massive job for them to search every single room. Yeah, but you'd think a dog would be able to kind of smell her. Mm. But I don't think that she was ever in any of the rooms. So No, except for her own room. Yeah. So on February 6th, a week after she was last seen, the LAPD decided more help was needed. Flyers with her image were posted in the neighborhood and online and brought the case to the public's attention through the media. So still not a lot happened, but on February 15th, after another week with no sign of her, the LAPD released a video of her last known sighting taken in one of the elevators at the Cecil on February 1st. So this is the video that drew a lot of interest in the case due to her strange behavior and has been extensively analyzed and discussed. So the video is from an elevator an elevator camera that's at the back corners of one of the elevators, so you can actually see into the hall a little bit in front of it as well. The video goes on for over five minutes. You can see her walking in the beginning of the video into the elevator. She's wearing like a red zip-up hoodie, black shorts, and a gray t-shirt. At times, she seems like a little bit unbalanced. She starts pushing all the buttons in the elevator, like, you know, like a little kid would when they get excited and they want to push all the buttons. She starts pushing them all. And for some reason, the elevator door won't close. So she gets a little frantic, it seems. I've read somewhere or heard somewhere that because she pushed all the buttons, that was probably the reason, one, maybe the reason why the doors wouldn't close. It's kind of like an overload. You know, obviously, yeah, the elevator like kind older... of recognizes that this isn't or, or can't um, compute. It's like when you do too on, much on a computer at yeah, once. Yeah. And it all freezes or whatever. So that that could have been one of the reasons why. You yeah. Know, and she didn't realize. So she kept getting more frantic and it kept making it worse. Yeah. So then she starts like pushing her back against where the buttons on the elevator are, like as if she was hiding from someone in the hallway. It seems like if someone walked past, she wouldn't want them to see her. Then, you know, the door still doesn't shut because it's frozen for whatever reason or jammed. And then she starts like she peeks her head out from the elevator like she's looking down up and down the hall. Um, Then she'll go out into the hall and then back in. So she goes in and out a few times and you could tell she's clearly in some sort of distress. It's a it's a, it is a super creepy video. Like there's some stills online as well, which I'm just looking at while we talk. And see, like she pushes herself as far as she can into the corner, and then yeah. she ducks down. It's just it's it's almost like what you would think a horror movie would be like. Yeah, like the grudge a little bit, like how because then she starts yeah, yeah. like she goes out again for like probably the last time. And sometimes she was like holding both sides of the door, like she was like dizzy or something. And she goes into the hall and she starts making really. Like weird hand motions. And she's like looking down the right side of the hall and she starts making these weird hand motions and kind of like rocking back and forth. And then she just walks off. And of course, as soon as she walks off, the elevator doors close. So, yeah. That's why some people think it's like haunted because it was really weird. And it looks like she's doing kind of like paranormal, like her hands or wrists are bending unnaturally. Just a really weird video. Definitely, if you haven't seen it, check it out because that's pretty much what has caused all the allure with this story so that video came out the search continued for elisa and while the search continued guests at the hotel began complaining about low water pressure and some said their water was discolored and tasted strange 
people said the water was like a blackish color. So I'm sure you can imagine where this is going if you don't already know. This is just still the horror movie stuff. <laughs> so gross. I was talking about it with my mom today and she was like disgusted. She, my mom actually, I'll tell you what she said after just for people who don't know the story. So <laughs> on the morning of February 19th, Elisa's body was found in one of the four thousand gallon water tanks providing water to guest rooms the kitchen and a coffee shop the tank was drained and cut open since its maintenance hatch was too small to accommodate equipment needed to remove her body so they found her body in the water tank and that's why the water tasted gross and was gross color because her body was in there decomposing so getting to slime and so i told that to my mom today my mom was like imagine you're you just find out you're a cannibal and you didn't even know it and i was like mom (laughs) (laughs) i was like i don't think that's how it works (laughs) on february 21st the la county coroner's office issued a finding of accidental drowning with bipolar disorder as a significant factor the full coroner's report when it was released stated that elisa's body had been found naked and that her clothing that was similar to what she was wearing in the video was found floating in the water and it was coated with a sand-like particulate her watch and room key were also found with her her autopsy you can read that it said that her body was moderately decomposed and bloated it was mostly greenish with some marbling evident on the abdomen and skin separation was evident there was no evidence of physical trauma sexual assault or suicide and this I couldn't really find an answer to, but toxicology tests were incomplete because not enough of her blood was preserved. But from what they could tell, there were traces consistent with medication that she was prescribed, found among her belongings. So she had that medication, she was taking it, um, plus non-prescription drugs such as Sinitab and ibuprofen, and a very small quantity of alcohol, about 0.02% was present. There was no recreational drugs in her system, though, that they found. So just some more relevant background on her. Like I mentioned earlier, she'd been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and depression. She was prescribed four medications, Welbutrin, Lamectal, Seroquel, and Effexor. Um, According to her family, who apparently kept her history of mental illness a secret, I mean, this was in 2013 and not that it was that long ago, but I think it's only now that people are being more open about mental illness. So, and I also think that in some, you know, cultures, cultural, and not being generalist yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it's a, it's a people are very some people are very private. So, yeah, I'm not surprised about that. Really, I guess eventually they must have told police or something that she had no history of suicidal ideation or attempts. Although one report claimed she had previously gone missing for a brief period in January 2012, so a year before. Um, one of her blog posts, she wrote that she had a relapse at the start of the current school term, which had forced her to drop several classes, leaving her feeling, quote, so utterly directionless and lost. She titled her post. It's actually this quotes at the top. She had two different yeah, blogs. Blog. So this, I think it was a blog post on her old blog, and she titled this post this, but then on her new blog which is on tumblr that quote is at the top of it and it says you're always haunted by the idea you're wasting your life which is a quote from the novelist chuck palahan Palahan i don't know if that sounds a little closer (laughs) but yeah so she used that quote as an epigraph on her blog as well 
Um, she also wrote that she was worried that her transcript would look suspicious with her withdrawals and that it would result in her being unable to continue her studies or attend graduate school. Um, so I did find her blog. It We'll put the link up on it, but one of her posts from when she arrived to LA on January 29th, 2013, she said, I've arrived in La La Land and there is a monstrosity of a building next to the place I'm staying. When I say monstrosity, mind you, I'm saying as in gaudy. But then again, it was built in 1928, hence the Art Deco theme. So yes, it is classy. But then since it's LA, it went on crack. Fairly certain this is where Baz Luhrmann needs to film The Great Gatsby. Um, <laughs> I screenshot her blogs just her text blogs because it's on tumblr so you can repost like a bunch of pictures or anything so i just filtered it out to see text posts from the month of january and you could see the post where she's talking about the speakeasy bar where she lost her phone so speakeasy was awesome except i lost my phone there's one that says my laptop screen is brighter than my future i'm going out tonight really hope no creepers come near me i got lost in the airport missed my connecting flight uh <laughs> What's the deal with the posts after she died? I don't know. I don't know if it. I think I've not seen it talked about. Like maybe she'd set them up to be like scheduled. Um, yeah, because yeah, there was like, like an, there's one. There's like one a from few April. in February, and yeah, there's heaps in February actually. Yeah, it looks like there's heaps. Yeah, maybe she had true. February set up, for, and there's March, April, June, and December. But one from April is a video, and it has six hundred twenty-eight thousand notes on it. <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy. Like, yeah. I'm assuming she scheduled them. Maybe, maybe that she'd scheduled those for dates that meant something to her throughout the year. Maybe that was what it was. Or I is, don't know but. if, like, because on Tumblr, I didn't really look much at them, but on Tumblr, you can reshare, like, reblog things. So maybe okay. if someone edited, like, the original post. Right. Might have if it's not one that she something. wrote, but I don't know. It is a little confusing, mm-hmm. unless it was her ghost. Still on Tumblr. <laughs> She wrote a post about liking a boy, and then she wrote something like, he said nothing, I was rejected, I'm going to be okay. On the bright side, I'm not addicted to crack cocaine. <laughs> One she wrote, I think I'm having that delayed breakup meltdown rough days. It's sunk in how lonely I am. So she definitely mm-hmm. has some posts on there that are a little sad. Um, you could tell that she's having a hard time in some of them. But... It's definitely worth checking out. It's a little morbid, but I know some people like us are into that. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, there's a bunch of theories about what could have happened to her, even though it is officially technically case closed. A lot of people just feel it was a very strange occurrence. So some theories that have evolved to explain her actions was that she was trying to get the elevator car to move in order to escape from someone who was pursuing her, which it does. That is what it looks like, but... If there was an unknown killer following her to the rooftop or anything like that, this killer would have managed to evade any security cameras as well as hotel staff. Plus, her body showed no signs of trauma or, or sexual assault. So it doesn't seem very likely. Um, some speculated that she was communicating with an invisible presence in the hall in light of the hotel's sinister history. Some have concluded that this presence was a ghost. At times, when her hands are moving, they appeared to bend a bit unnaturally. Which, I guess, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Who am I to say that there's no ghosts? <laughs> um, people also were questioning how she got into the water tanks at all on the roof. Because people were saying that if she went through whatever certain door, it would have set off an alarm. 
but I guess other people looked into it more and there are four routes that she could have taken. And if she took any of the fire escapes, it wouldn't have set off an alarm. So that kind of seems most likely. Others suggested that she might be under the influence of ecstasy or some other party drug, but none was detected in her body, even though the toxicology results were like incomplete because of the blood sample. But they still didn't find any. Um, it seems once her bipolar disorder emerged, it became that that was kind of the more likely thing, like she was having a manic or psychotic episode. So I looked a little bit more into that just to have some more information on bipolar disorder. According to the Mayo Clinic, a person with bipolar disorder may experience manic episodes in euphoria, which triggers diminished ability to make healthy decisions. So think Kanye West over the last few months, how he's been acting on Twitter and running for president and doing all these things that seem crazy. Yeah. I don't want people to be like, it's not crazy. I have bipolar. Just, I know that it just, these things, they, they, they're not things he would normally Unusual. do. Yeah. They're not things he would normally do if he wasn't having a manic episode. It can also lead to psychosis, hallucinations, delusions, and even strange body movements as seen in the video. So some people try saying maybe she commits suicide, but I personally don't think she committed suicide. She spoke with the bookshop manager about how she was buying these gifts for her family. She seemed really excited to be traveling. And just her behavior in the elevator seemed more like there was some sort of psychotic break. I, I think it was a psychotic break. I don't know if she got in the water tank maybe to try and hide from whoever she thought, you know, was yeah. chasing her or, you know, for whatever reason. But I, I, I think it was probably an accidental death based on her psychosis is my expert opinion. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like, I don't, I don't know, like, I'm just thinking of the wrong thing, but I just feel like it's common when things like that happen that people seek like to get outside or like to get air. And a lot of times people like go to water. Yeah. Like maybe she thought it would be, you know, she could just, I I think what she probably did was she probably got in there for whatever reason and then couldn't get out again. Yeah. She probably wanted to go for a swim. Maybe she was hot, wanted to go outside, saw the water tanks, thought she could go for a swim. Like I feel like if you're having a manic episode, you're probably like kind of (laughs) sweaty. Yeah. But it's a crazy one. It's just, I don't know. That's a true, like, paranormal. That would, after, yeah. that would be, like, my second guess was that the place is actually haunted and she was seeing ghosts or something. And it's not like she was in, like, some five-star hotel or whatever. She was in a dodgy, seedy hotel that had a history of death and murder. So if anywhere's going to be haunted, it's probably going to be there. <laughs> Yeah, I would honestly believe that before believing that there was someone there that killed her. Yeah, I would too. (laughs) All right, so that's all the episodes we're going to cover in this one. We'll probably do another CCTV surveillance type episode eventually. I personally really like doing these kind of theme type episodes where we could talk about a few cases. So let us know what you guys think of those. We've still got our latest merch drop open at the moment. I think it will be closing in the next week or so. Um, So if you want something, if you want a sweatshirt for winter wherever you are or if you're in Australia and you want a tank top or a singlet as we call them whatever if you want something get on there get it for it shuts because we don't know when probably be a few more months before we do another drop this one it's a little Halloween themed we have some with potion bottles we have some with ghosts we have some for our other group death after dark that I know a lot of you are probably in if you're not you should join that group as well that's where we talk about deaths that aren't crimes because like I said before we're 
morbid weirdos that are nosy about death. <laughs> so if that sounds like you, send us a request at Death After Dark. Only come in there if you're normal, please. If you're just ready to have a good chat, come in. Otherwise, don't come in. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't come in if you're going to be shocked that we talk about death in a group that talks about death. Also, like we said, everything that we discussed in this episode, all the photos, the videos, the write-up, sources, will all be on our website, truecrimesociety.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, all under the same name, and obviously our Facebook group if you're not in it already, True Crime Society. Yep. But that is really it. I think that's all of our plugs, everything I have to harass you about. So I hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you after my holiday. See you after Olivia's <laughs> vacation. <laughs> Bye. Bye.